As we began looking at the concept of uh, spiritual growth, uh, and that's so important in our life, and we looked at a, what I thought to be, and uh, still do, a very intriguing and challenging passage of Scripture out of Second Peter 3, when he challenges us about what kind of people we should be in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he talked about uh, that this world and the heavens and everything will be consumed in those final days uh, with a raging fire, and then will come uh, the new heaven and the new earth. And so he says, so what manner of people ought you to be in light of this? And what he goes on to say then, just kind of quick review is, is that we should be spiritually mature people who are looking for the day of Christ, anticipating that day of Christ, and that we should be spiritually mature as we grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now today I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 12. And in verses 1 through 2 in this very familiar passage of Scripture, and the Apostle Paul is the one who is writing and he challenges us to spiritual maturity through the process of being transformed. And he talks about doing that by offering our lives completely, totally to God as a living sacrifice. So listen again to these words out of Romans 12 verses 1 through 2. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, if you're familiar with those words, you might ask the question, well, what do these words say to us and have to say to us about spiritual maturity? Well, I think what the Apostle Paul is stressing is he's reminding us of the radical change that is to take place in our life when we come to know Christ. And that process is so radical that it's called transformation. And I think if we really think about that, that transformation then is really at the very heart and soul of the message of Christianity. Transformation was at the very core of the teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to to transform us from lost sinners into sinners who were saved by the grace of God. And transformation is what happens to us when we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians 5 in the passage 17 through 21. And let me just share a couple of verses of that. In 17 he says, Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. See, that's a radical transformation in it. That what we were in our old state has gone away and we are a new person in Christ. In verse 21, he tells us how that came about and what it results in. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a reminder that the transformation in our life takes place through the the sin offering that Jesus Christ made of himself. That he became sin in our place to die in our place on the cross. And when we come to believe in him, trust in him, and claim that saving act, then we're no longer lost sinners that God cannot look upon in our unrighteousness, but we're made righteous in the sight of God through Jesus Christ. That's a radical transformation that takes place in our life. And it all happens when we come to know Jesus Christ. Now what we need to remember 
is that the significance of this transformation in our life as a follower of Jesus Christ should have a direct impact upon the culture in which we live. And I'll point out to you that the the church, the church in general, all churches in America and all denominations and the church, the people of God, we really aren't having the kind of positive impact upon the culture that we should have. And we see that there's a growing lostness and a growing diversity uh, in our culture today. And we know all those things that are raging out there, same-sex marriage and all of those kinds of things that are definitely in opposition uh, to, to what the Bible teaches. I, I had a wedding last night, beautiful setting for that. And uh, I, I've learned to say that, that marriage is, I used to say marriage is the union of two people. You know, and I've gotten to where these days I want to stress, and I do stress, that marriage is the union of two people, a man and a woman. Because that is the essence of marriage. And that's the way God designed it. And that's just one of the things that challenges the biblical teachings that we supposedly should hold dear in our heart and our life. So why aren't we making the impact that we should have on the culture in which we live? I think it's because of a lack of spiritual transformation. Not living up to that. Not experiencing it totally. See, it's not enough for us just to weep and mourn and and wail and point out all that's wrong in our culture today. It's not even enough for us to criticize what's going on in our culture. It's not even good enough for us simply to condemn our culture. But we must be about transforming our culture. And literally what that calls for us to do, because I think that we could call this not only a postmodern era, but maybe even a post-Christian era. And that this is what we are called to do. We are called to create a new culture as transformation agents. Now, you might not think that that's what you're called to do, but if you go back and you look at the passage that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, he talks about the transformation that takes place, that we who were in our sins are no longer in our old self, but we are a new person in Christ. And he goes on in between there in verse 21 to talk about the fact that God overlooked our sin through Jesus Christ, and and that in doing so, He reconciled us to Him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if we ever do ponder on that and study that passage of Scripture, I think for the most part we focus on the fact that we've been made a new creation. And that's pretty good for us. That's what we intended. That's what we wanted in our life. But we overlook the fact that we're supposed to be reconciliators, bringing lost people, mankind, this culture, into a relationship of being reconciled with God. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at this passage of Scripture and see that Paul is talking to us about being transformed, uh, there are uh, at least three decisive steps that I think he points out for us here that we must make if we really want to be transformed into spiritual growth and maturity. The first thing he calls us to do is to make a total commitment of your life to God. He calls us to make a total commitment of our life to God. I think that the problem for most of us as believers is that we're only, we're only exposing ourselves to a portion of the gospel. Or we're only mildly transformed in a relationship with Christ. We're involved in the church matters to a minimum level. 
and our spiritual growth is only a minimum growth. We, we just got a little bit of, of religion and spirituality so that, uh, you know, we've got a standing and a, and, a, and a little bit of respect, and hopefully it's enough to get us into heaven. That's not a total commitment of your life through Jesus Christ to God. I want you to look at that word offer when Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, that we're to offer ourselves. It's the same word that was used over and over and over in the Old Testament when the priest would take the sacrificial animal, whatever it was, into the temple and would sacrifice that animal by cutting its throat. And the blood would be offered then uh, as a sacrifice and the animal would be burned. It's the same word that Paul uses here when he talks about offer yourself. You see, when that lamb or ox or whatever it was was sacrificed, it was a total commitment on, that, on the part of that animal, whether they went voluntarily or not to the altar. There wasn't any going back once their throat was slit. And, and Paul is saying, when you offer yourself to God, make it a total commitment. Make it a total commitment. Offer yourself once and for all. You see, when we sacrifice something, we give up all possession of it and all ownership of whatever it is that we sacrifice to God. And the same should be true when we offer ourselves to God. You see, the, the, in the Old Testament when a sacrifice was made, it was always a, a total offering with no strings attached. And total surrender is better than repeated rededications. You see, if you are totally committed and dedicated to Christ, then you don't have any reason to rededicate. Now, we hear Paul talking about the fact that we are to be living sacrifices. You know the problem with a living sacrifice, with a live sacrifice? It has a tendency to crawl off the altar, doesn't it? And that's what we do. But see, if you're dedicated, you have no reason to, to rededicate. You have no reason to crawl off the altar. You have committed yourself. You've offered yourself totally and completely. And so the challenging question for every one of us today, starting with me and to you, is have I offered myself? Have I given myself totally and completely committed to God? You see, God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your talents. God doesn't want your time. He doesn't want your abilities. God wants you. Because when He has you, He has all that you have. And when you make a total commitment to Him, then everything that you have, you offer to Him by way of sacrifice. And Paul not only says offer, but he says offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So if He tells us to offer our bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice, then there must be an alternative to that, right? And there is. We either offer ourselves to God or we offer ourselves to sin. Now, which will it be? In Romans 6.13, Paul also writes and says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Now, Paul makes that clear then, that when we offer ourselves, it, we offer that to God. Every bit of us, all of us, so that we offer ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness and not offering ourselves to sin. Now, when Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church at, at Rome, the Greek philosophy uh, was so prevalent in that culture. And the Greek philosophy of that day said, 
It did not matter at all what you did in the body as long as you kept the soul pure and clean. And so that's why those who were in the Senate would, would sit there all day in their nice white clean togas and they would conduct the business. And then in the evening they would go out and they would go to the temples for the, for the prostitutes of the temple. And they would live in debauchery and they would live in, in gluttony and they would live in drunkenness. And then they would come back the next day, put on that clean toga and go about their business of the business uh, and making the laws and all of that of their culture as if nothing had happened. And they said they had kept their soul clean while their bodies were the ones that they had, had exposed to all of that. Now that sounds a whole lot like Washington, D.C. today, doesn't it? Well, you, you, you have to understand that that's not how it works. You can't separate your body from your spiritual being. What you do to your body affects your spiritual being. Your spirit is affected by that. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, God wants our bodies, all of them, all that we are, and He takes us and He makes us clean and useful for His glory. And He calls us then a living sacrifice. And what that means is that we are to go on living for God and His glory, having made a full, total, complete commitment of who we are, body and soul, to God. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. First one is this. Would you be willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ? Now think about that for a moment. Would you really, would you be willing to die for the cause of Christ? Now think about the second question. Would you be willing to live every day totally committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? See, I had this fear that if somebody were to, uh, were to come in here today, hopefully it never happens, but, but have a pistol, a gun, rifle, something, and, and take all of us captive. If you have a captive, that's truly a captive audience as he were to do that. And he would put that gun to your head and he would say, you can either renounce Christ or I'll kill you. I think most of us would be willing to say, I will not renounce Christ. And life would be over for us. they choose. I think the most difficult part about living fully and completely and committed to God is living for him every day in the real world. Where we meet with the temptations and frustrations and expectations and all of those things out there in the world when sin is so readily made available to us and Satan does such a good job of tempting us and alluring us with the, with the opportunities to sin that on the surface look so good. See, I think in a lot of ways it's easier to die for Christ than it is to live for Christ. But Paul calls us to be a living sacrifice. Jesus already died for us. We don't necessarily have to do that unless we are called upon to do that. But in our culture and our society today, we don't need any martyrs. What we need are living sacrifices, totally committed to God through faith in Jesus Christ. They're totally committed. 
If you've ever been somewhere the other day, I saw a going out of business sign. And it reminded me of what you, you usually see if you go in for those sales that are going out of business sale. There usually is a sign there that says what? No refunds, no returns, all transactions final. See, they're going out of business. You're not coming back to exchange it. You know, that, that, when you, it's like this. When you make a total commitment, there are no refunds, no returns, all transactions are final. That's what God wants in a total commitment. That's step number one. Step number two in that transformation process is this. That we are to maintain a distinct separation from the world. And what does that world mean? That world means this system in which we live. Okay? Paul says in verse 2a, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now that's fairly familiar to most of us probably. So much so that we kind of gloss over that. Let me just give you the wording in other translations. Uh, Do not act like the sinful people of the world. Do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you will fit into it without even thinking. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And then J.B. Phillips had this famous uh, translation of it, a paraphrasing of, of that scripture when he says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. And that's what the world is trying to do. It's trying to take you and squeeze you into its own mold. Now, when we go back to the original word that Paul says, that don't conform to this world, that word conform means, it comes from the same word that means a scheme. A scheme. And so, what Paul is telling us is, don't let the world force you or fool you into living in its scheme of things. Now, here is a different, difficult situation that we find ourselves in as the church people, as the people of Christ, as the body of Christ. We are to live in the world, but we are not to be of the world. We're not to conform to the, to the culture around us that is counter to what God wants us to be like. But unfortunately, we have a tendency far more often to, to fall into being like the culture than we do standing out and being a living sacrifice for Christ. And see, if you trace this, that there are several themes that just stand out running all the way through the Bible. One is the redemption through Jesus Christ and that whole process of why He came in the promise of a Messiah and the promise of salvation and deliverance. The other one that I'd point out that's so prevalent is, is that the reason for that is that God is calling out for himself, for his possession, and for his glory, a people who will be totally committed and dedicated to him. And that's why he says, be holy because I am holy. And you know through the Bible teaching that he first offered it to the Israelites. He chose them. He offered it to them. And they were to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. And and instead they became this legalistic society. That it wasn't about relationship with God, it was about religion, and it was about rules. And so then it became that, that, he, that he, after the crucifixion, resurrection of Christ, and he's particularly called Paul to this, he sent him out to be a light to the Gentiles and to take the message there. And we're the Gentiles who've benefited by that. That, that we've, gotten, we've gotten the message of Christ. Somebody told us about it, we heard about it somewhere, we read about it, and we made that commitment. 
And see, that, that's, that's what God wants for us. That's what he has called us to be, is a people holy unto him. Now, I think that there are three dangerous, well, what do I want to call them? Dangerous trends or, or philosophies or lifestyle out in this culture today that we have a tendency to fall for. And I think that's what Paul would want us to do, is to notice these things so we won't fall to them. The first is the challenge of pluralism. Now, pluralism just doesn't affirm the obvious fact that there is a plurality of cultures and ideologies and religions in the world. But pluralism at its bottom level says that all of these claims should be respected equally. And we're told to be tolerant. It seems like every religion besides Christianity and every person besides a believer in Christ is given the right to have what they want and to express their opinion and to express their belief. But we as Christians are told, be tolerant of others and keep your faith to yourself. You know, not too long ago, in fact, I don't follow national NBA basketball that much. Uh, the playoffs are on now for the championship between the Spurs and the, and the Heat. Spurs are the only team I ever watch or care anything about in the NBA basketball. Not too long ago, one of the guys I ain't never had heard of him before in one of the teams, he played for about six or seven different teams, came out as the first openly admitted homosexual gay person uh, in that world of sports. Now compare that to Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was, as a man of faith. They said, you're a Christian, that's okay, keep it to yourself, be quiet about it. This basketball player speaks out and says, comes out of the closet and says that he's openly gay and all of a sudden he's a national hero, right? That's what's going on in our culture today. So how should we respond? Well, we need to do so with humility and not certainly with with a legalistic mindset or even attitude about it. But we respond with the claims of the uniqueness found only in Jesus Christ. And what is that? First of all, His incarnation where He became flesh and brought the essence and personality of God to us. Secondly then is His substitutional death on the cross for our our salvation, for the atonement for our sins. He paid that price. And then thirdly in His resurrection. See, no other religious figure has ever done that. But only in Jesus Christ did God become human in His birth, came and bore our sins in His death, and triumphed over death in His resurrection. And that's how we respond with that unique message. Is it tolerant? Is it uh, exclusive? No, it's inclusive. Because Jesus said He came to die for the world. God loved the world. Our message isn't exclusive. It's inclusive. The second challenge I think we face in in this society is that of challenge of materialism. We have more, we spend more than any other culture that's ever existed. And and the banking institutions make it so easy for us. All you got to do is have a credit card, get approved, and you can buy anything you want. There's no sense of delayed gratification in our culture today. Jesus warned us about greed and materialism and what it would do to us. And the Bible reminds us over and over and over again that God provides for us the things that we need. And we shouldn't be overly concerned about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear, the kind of car we're going to drive, and all those kinds of things. And it doesn't matter what you amass in this world. You know why? 
You're going to leave it behind. You're going to leave it behind. Very wealthy lady in the church died, and somebody asked the pastor, I wonder how much she left behind. And the pastor said, she left it all behind. She left it all behind. And so will you. And so will I. Now, you need to have a will and those kinds of things to take care of your family as, as you leave. Now, here's the third thing I think that's really a challenge for us, and that's the challenge of moral relativism. See, all around us, the moral standards of our culture are declining. And those of you who've lived far longer than I have, you've seen that. You've watched it. It's in the media. It's in the media everywhere. And moral relativism has permeated our culture and seeped even into the church. And one of the most obvious examples, of course, is the sexual ethics. And over against those trends, though, is what Christ calls us as a disciple to do. And that is not to offer our bodies to sin, but to offer them to God as instruments of righteousness. See, the only way we prove our love for Christ is by our commitment to Him and our obedience to what He teaches us. And all of the challenges that come to us from our culture try to make us different. And we have to stand up for who we are and what we believe. I think one of the biggest problems is we've just tended to blend in with the culture and blend in with the society. I think we've got an image up here of this animal called a chameleon. You know what that is? Kind of that lizard-looking animal. Isn't that beautiful? It, it, just to look at it on the screen, like on a computer screen, it's absolutely beautiful uh, in its colors, a vast array of those colors. But what a chameleon has the ability to do is this. Let's get to the next screen up there is to change colors and to blend in with the environment. When you get a larger picture of that, you can see that his body looks almost exactly like those leaves uh, uh, that surround him. And I think that's what's happening to far too many believers today. We're like that chameleon. We can change our colors. We can change our color for whatever culture we find ourselves in, and we can just blend right in. We can blend right in. And the point is... Don't let the world make you look different on the outside than what you are on the inside. Remember, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. And what is that world? You basically can say it's a culture without God. Not living under the commandments and teachings of God. Now, here's the third step I think Paul talks about uh, for being transformed to spiritual maturity. And that is we have to allow God to change your pattern of thinking. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, there are several interesting thoughts about that transforming process that Paul describes. Paul uses that word for transform only one other time. And that's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And he says, and we who with veiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then Matthew used it in Matthew 17 in his gospel to describe the transfiguration of Christ before the disciples on the mountain. And you really, you take that word transform and transliterate it into English, it's the word for metamorphosis. You know what metamorphosis is, don't you? That's a change on the outside that comes from the inside. I think we got some images of that. Look over there. You know, it's interesting, hard to believe, but you can watch this process on these slides. That from a caterpillar emerges a beautiful butterfly. And it's a process of metamorphosis. It's a process of change that it goes through. 
That, that caterpillar somehow wraps itself up in a cocoon. And then before long, uh, wings and legs and the body starts to sprout forth. And out of that cocoon comes a beautiful butterfly. That's that process of transformation, metamorphosis. An unknown person once said, God formed man, sin deformed him, but Lord Jesus Christ transforms him. That's that process that we go through. This transformation takes place when Jesus comes into your life. And when Jesus comes into your life, the world should see on the outside of you what you have living on the inside of you. Let me, see, let me tell you how that works. Here's the difference between transformation and confirmation, being conformed to society. When the culture around us looks at me and sees a mirror, and in that mirror its own reflection, then I have conformed to the culture around me. But when the culture around me looks at me and sees a window instead of a mirror, And through that window, they see Jesus. That's transformation. And that's what God wants to happen in the life of every one of us. And he says it comes about through the transformation of your mind, your thinking. What are you going to think about? Well, whatever you think about is what's going to grab your attention, claim your life. That's why Paul writes about claiming every thought captive to the obedience of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that shuts itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The battle that Paul is talking about is a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare against philosophies and theologies and all of these things. Mindsets and lifestyles that are contrary to the image of God. And he says, we win the battle in our thinking, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I think that's one of the biggest struggles you can ever engage in. If you really sit down and you think about that verse of Scripture and you read it and you ponder over it and you research it. And then you ask God, how can I take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ? That's a tough assignment. That is a genuinely tough assignment to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. I mean, that that means you've got to have some kind of great filter up here through which you run everything that you can bring down those strongholds that are opposed to God and His kingdom. And it begins with your thought process because as you think, then so you will be. And that's what will capture your attention and your heart as, as what captures your mind in that thought process. And that's what Paul says, we'll be to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, that's, a, that's this aspect of, of spiritual growth that Paul describes here in, in Romans 12, 1 through 2. And it's the process of spiritual maturity by being transformed. That's what God longs for every one of us is to be transformed. And maybe that's your need today as you come here today. You need to be transformed. You need to make a total commitment of your life to Christ. You need to make sure you're not offering yourself to anyone or anything but Christ. Remember, you're in the world but not of the world. And you need to take every thought captive in your mind, in your thinking, in your thought process, so you can live for the glory of God. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, during these moments, there will be some people who, who won't.
rededicate their lives, but instead hopefully will dedicate themselves, surrender totally to you once and for all, and say, I'm yours, Lord. Everything I am, everything I have, I'm yours. And I pray, Lord, that you would take them, change them, transform them, change the way they think, change them into the kind of person you've always wanted them to be. And I pray you'll let them know that their life is not different because of Jesus Christ in their life. And Lord, I pray this in that strong and powerful name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, asking for the transformation for spiritual maturity that we so desperately need. And we want to honor you with that as we give our lives to Christ. And Father, I pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.